0: Hi, Chris Vallotton here. Welcome to my podcast where I hope to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and develop you in the art of thinking like God. One of the best ways you can do this is by reading my newest book, Spiritual Intelligence, which is available for purchase everywhere you love to buy your books. Check out my new book, Spiritual Intelligence, and let me know what you think about it. I hope you enjoy this message today. Pray tonight, God, that you would open our eyes to the depths of your love. And that we would experience what sometimes we only talk about. Amen. Um, why don't you turn to, uh, to Ephesians chapter 3. I want to just talk about love tonight. And we're going to start with verse 14 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. I actually love the be- book of Ethe- Ephesians. <laughs> the beak. I love the beak of Ephesians. I love the whole head. I love the body. I love the wings. I just love everything about it. I could blame this on vacation, but I've only been on for eight hours. <laughs> Verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that He would grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through the Spirit, through His Spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and so you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth the length the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled that you may fi- be filled up with all the fullness of God now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think. I've felt that way many times during church. Verse 20. Now, on to unto him. Mostly when I'm preaching. Now, on to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to just read you this uh, verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is a really beautiful passage, and I've heard Bill teach out of this passage many times, uh, even in Weaverville, and, um, and, and this, this passage is powerful for lots of reasons. Obviously, it's about the love of God. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't get anything else right in life, if you get the love of God right, you're pretty much going to make it, right? If you can learn the love of God, it's amazing to me. No, not the word amazing is the wrong word. It's a bad choice. It's, it's kind of astounding to me how many people can re- repeat verses about love and actually have never actually experienced the love of God. When I was counseling here the first three years, can you imagine being in a room with me as a counselor? I understand. But i it, it's, it's just a guess. It's just a, it's just a guesstimate. But I would propose, my thought is that probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 85% of the people who are in my office with problems with serious problems in their life, could actually be reduced down to this one main thing that they actually did not know they were loved. Now, it got all kinds of weirdness, and you know, it's sometimes I'd leave my office and go home at night, and cats would say, How was your day? And I would say, I have never seen how comp, how do people get themselves in such complex messes? And, and, you know, when you don't know you're loved, it is a, first of all, it's a tragedy. And secondly, what you do to try to feel loved when you don't feel loved, when you don't know you're loved, is... I don't know, people, I, I, would, I, I would leave my office every week. You know, we were, obviously, I, I was raised in the Bay Area at 20 years old, 22 years old. Yeah, 22 years old, we moved to Weaverville, so pretty isolated. And uh, we had home groups at our house for 17, 18 years. Kathy and I did a lot of marriage counseling together. When Danny came, we had, um, you know, Danny wanted a, a marriage counseling class I, I, and he would. Everybody he was counseling. He wanted to be discipled. Let me put it that way. And so we we discipled couples for I think that was a couple years, and but you know I, I felt like in Weirville we were well I didn't know how isolated we were when it came to reading. Not that we're in a big metropolis, but I was surprised by how complicated people made their lives over the over the pursuit. And desire to be loved, and how often Christians don't know that's the problem. I remember um, I, I could I could tell countless stories. Uh, I remember being in the the front office, so that must have been the very first year, and I remember this girl, uh, a, a lady, she was a lady, she's probably in her uh, early thirties, and she was sharing this. Uh, story, obviously, in confidence, I can't tell you the story, but this story that would just break your heart. And she'd been a Christian since she was a kid. And as she's telling the story, I mean, within five minutes, I'm like, this girl doesn't know she's loved. This is where this is going. She doesn't know it. And I said, so, she, she kind of went on and on and on, and it was like, this is getting pretty long. And I said, uh, excuse me, let's, okay, stop for a minute. Let me just say this, like, here's the core issue. Here's your core issue. You do not know God loves you. And as soon as I said that, it kind of engaged a machine gun of scriptures she had memorized. I think that probably someone told her to memorize those scriptures, which is not a bad thing, of course. Trying to help her. And she rattled off about eight scriptures that she memorized, that she had you know that she had memorized over her lifetime verbatim. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and she gave me a little commentary on each one, as she finished them. And I sat there, and I'm like, it's kind of, I was, you know, it was my early days of counseling, I was like a little surprised that she actually knew the verses about love. She actually knew this verse by heart. She quoted it to me. And when she finished, I said to her, I didn't say you didn't i didn't say you don't know about love i said you never experienced the love of god the next half hour was about trying to explain to her that you can know something that you don't know so i actually took her back to the ephesians 3 verse that she quoted and i said did you notice that he said i prayed that you would know the love of god that surpasses understanding She said, "Yeah." I said, "What do you think that means? Because you obviously can repeat the verses, so you have understanding, but He wants you to know the love that would be beyond your understanding, and that's the part I'm saying you haven't experienced because you actually don't believe you're loved." She said, "I," and she, I said, "I didn't say you don't know theologically you're loved. I'm saying you don't know experientially you're loved." So she was kind of in defense mode. Probably my demeanor wasn't the best. I'm still learning. I said, okay, let me, can, we just, can we just do this? She said, okay. I said, how about if I put my hands on you and we, just, and we just pray that the Holy Spirit would expose you to the love of God that surpasses understanding. So a little bit resist, resistantly, but submissively, she said, okay. I, I, because she was not, she wanted me to fix this other stuff out here. She was frustrated because I wasn't giving her, I wasn't speaking to that, which I, I wasn't thinking I wasn't going to speak to that. I was just thinking we should start down here at the foundation, and then this is just skills. I can give you skills. That's that's easy. But but skills are not going to help you if you don't know you're loved. Yeah. Skills help. Listen, marriage people that are in marriages they need skills. Like they don't just need this, but they need skills. I get that. need communication skills and all the stuff that Dan and Jason and and Danny Silk, they're all good at. And it's all good. But if you don't know your love, all the skills in the world are not going to solve your problem. And so I prayed for her. And, uh, and, 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 you know, at first I was like, you, you know, all of us have been in rooms with someone you hope has an experience, right? Like your dad. And you're like, oh, Jesus, if you're, if you're not gonna do it someday, please don't let it be right now. So I was just praying for her. A couple of minutes went past. It just didn't seem like nothing was happening. And she was kind of, she was very like antsy, like, okay, that didn't work. Kind of, you know, I could feel that's where we're going. So she's like, okay. And I said, okay, oh, can we just pray a couple more minutes? She's like, okay. So we prayed, and then I said, I put my hand, can I put my hands on your hand? Yes. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now you would show the love of God that's beyond understanding. And about, I don't know, seconds passed, and she jumps out of her seat onto the floor, weeping like, a, like someone who's lost a child. And she's just bawling and bawling. I'm like, whoa, that worked pretty good. <laughs> By the way, I tried it on some other people. It didn't work as well. But... She just laid on the floor while the Lord just loved on her for, I, I don't know, I was terrible at time. It seemed like 20 minutes, but it could have been 10. But I mean, she was just on the floor with just weeping and weeping and telling Jesus, Jesus, I never knew you loved me like this. I never knew you loved me like this. That girl got off the floor. She was a totally different woman. My recollection is I met with her one more time talked to her about this stuff out there. And she was a happy person. That's so, like, I was like, I need to get down there with her, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure I experienced anything like that before. But there was just, there's something about knowing through experience. Something you can't know just through information. You know, your, your heart will take you places your head can't even go. Have you ever had a hard experience? I bet everybody, probably most everybody who knows the Lord, everybody who's in this room, and probably most people who are watching by Bethel TV, you've had this experience where you... you, Have you ever had an experience that's so powerful, and then you try to explain it to someone else? And they're kind of like... Bet that was good. I'm like, it was a lot better than I'm saying. Like, there was something about experience, something that's happening not through words but through experience, and when you try to tell someone else, it's not the same thing. And so I, I wrote this, uh, when I wrote the Death in the Wind book, I, 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 was, I actually had an experience when I was reading this verse. I was writing a chapter on the love of God, and I was telling some stories. And Anyway, let me just read you what I, what I wrote. Let's visit Paul's revelation of the love of God one more time. He wrote, being rooted and grounded in love that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. The love of Jesus is multidimensional. It has breadth. It is an extensive, all-encompassing ocean of adoration that surrounds you with compassion and woos you with admiration. It covers you in dark seasons and protects you through the night. It greets you in the morning and smiles on you through the day. It is captured at dusk and expressed at dawn. It is hope to the discouraged and peace to the lost. The love of Christ has length. It goes the distance. You can't fall so far, it can't catch you. Run so fast, it can't get you. Or hide so well, it can't find you. His love is better than your worst day, stronger than your most defiant will, and more forgiving than your cruelest sin. When you give up, love goes on. When you fall down, it picks you up. Love is courage to the fearful, hope to the helpless, strength to the weary, and wealth to the impoverished. Love goes the distance. The agape love of Christ has height, it exceeds all your expectations. Paul is so uh, emphatic about this dimension of love that he emphasizes it in the next verse when he writes, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you, above all you ask or think according to the power that works within us. If you ask for it, love has more. If you thought it, love takes it higher. If you dream big, love dreams bigger. If you aim high, love aims higher. You dream of a family, love dreams of a legacy. You ask for a job, God finds you a destiny. You hope for peace, love finds you a ministry. You pray for heaven, God gives you a city. You go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Think really big. Oh, you're thinking too small, for love has already thought bigger than you. God's love has depth, is intense, complex, and and profound, and able to penetrate your soul. Love's revelation perpetually unfolds as you peer into its substance and experience its splendor. Love is the poetry that awakens the mind to color so vivid and beauty divine. Love is an ocean so deep and... I'm sorry. Love... um, like an ocean's sorry the word love's not on that sentence <laughs> like an ocean so deep or a universe so vast it beckons to be discovered and longs to be grasped mysteries and wonders unfold at your feet as you walk with his love your fears he defeats deeper and deeper you tumble in god enriched by his goodness and changed by his love the depth of his mystery is hard to explain for the ocean that's around you is in you just the same that's it so, we've talked about this so many times. Jesus said, "Love your neighbor as you love yourself." And I, I've uh, probably coined this phrase: that false humility is killing us. There is a kind of a. You know, I do believe that love has sacrifice. I remember when my son was going through a divorce. It was a very difficult time. We actually wrote a book about it. And by the way, I do want to remind you, if you go through something really bad, write a book on it. Even though you're still miserable, at least you'll make money. So you drive a Corvette. Okay. There you go. But I remember when I, I went to see... A counselor, because I was actually—I didn't actually—it wasn't actually my choice. My wife, Kathy, said, "You're going to go get some professional help," because I'd already worked with the non-professionals. Me. <laughs> so I went to see a counselor, and this is a much longer story. But he said, "What's going on in your life?" And I said, "My son's going through divorce." My, and I—I I just started—I um, just started recounting what was going on. And about my grandkids and and probably things I probably shouldn't repeat now. But just repeating that that story. And so when I got all done, he looked at me and said, so what's the problem? I said, well, I've been on the couch for six months because my son's going through divorce and my grandkids going through this thing and my daughter's going through this thing. And and I repeated the story. I I didn't think he heard me. When I got done, he said, "Um, so what's the problem? I thought maybe it it was kind of some kind of reverse psychology, like they get you so mad, you finally aren't depressed anymore, you know, that's like, maybe this is a new, this is kind of like a new therapy, you know. So he asked me a third time, what's the problem? So I said, my son is going through divorce, my grandkids are going through this thing, my daughter's going through this thing, and I've been on the couch for six months, and so he said to me, so what's the problem? I said, I have no idea what you're saying. I'm on the couch for six months. He said, Well, I don't understand what the problem is. I said, Well, I thought you were supposed to solve it. And he said, and he read me, 1 Corinthians 13, he read, and love suffers long. And he read and he said that. He said, Well, love suffers long. I said, Yeah. So he said, So what's the problem? You're suffering. I said, yes, what I'm doing here. He said, but your kids are in trouble, and you love them. I said, yeah. He said, it would be weird if you weren't suffering. Oh. (laughs) So what you're trying to tell me is what I think is a problem is actually what happens when I tie myself to loving people. He said, exactly, Mr. Bellatin. The reason you're hurting is because you're actually in love. And I learned that through experience, that to the depth that you love people is the depth you can be hurt. Some people say things like they go through a divorce, they go through a hard time, and man, if you've been on the earth very long, you've had one of those. I I ran into this guy one time, he says, I'm preparing people for the great tribulation. That was his ministry. I said, I thought that's called life. I was born in a tribulation. My mother went through labor and it never stopped. (laughs) And I realized that there are people that say, I will never let that happen to me. I will never let anybody hurt me again. And then five years later, they're living in an ice castle. Wondering why they're starving for love, significance, attention, affection. And I don't realize that when you said, I will never let anyone hurt me again, you just said, I will never be loved again. Because it's only to the level that you can be loved that you can be hurt. And you can say it the other way, it's equally as true. It's to the level that you can be hurt that you can be loved. So the armor of God is really... The only kind of armor you want to protect yourself with because any other armor keeps, that keeps fear out, that keeps hurt out, also keeps love out. I feel like there are people in here and maybe watching by Bethel TV, I I feel to not go on yet. I feel like there are people in here that you cursed yourself and you didn't know it. Like you didn't like, I cursed myself. You didn't do it on purpose. When I say cursed, I mean, you relocated yourself to the ice castle and you didn't even know it. And I'll tell you, there's probably not very many people in here. Let me say it this way. Most of us in here have been through the kind of pain that you've been through and probably were tempted with the same thing you're tempted with. Like, yeah, I just don't want to do people anymore. And I watch so many people are living isolated lives. I'm so far off my script right now, but I feel I'm supposed to stay on this. I, 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 you know, if you're on social media, it's crazy what people will say on social media to you. Like, so many of them, they have a Superman shirt on behind their computer, and they're Pee Wee Herman when you meet them. People say things they write to me, and they're like, you're my pastor, and I just want to tell you that you're, just, you're shepherding me. And I'm like, I'm your pastor. You have a virtual pastor with someone you virtually don't know, who has virtually no accountability with you who virtually has no insight into your life, who virtually never met you, which means you're living in a virtual reality because it isn't real. And more and more people are getting isolated to their homes, playing video games and thinking they're having a relationship with people on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever the newest thing is. It's like, let me just say this, that's not a relationship. Oh, I have... 5,000 friends, those aren't friends. I'm sorry, Facebook should name them something else. They are not friends. I have people following me. Yeah, they follow you to have a different opinion. Then they stand and resist you. There's people that's not real. I mean, I love social media. I blog all the time, da-da-da, it's all fine. And you're like, well, why are you on there? I'm only on there because I want to change the world. And I think that people, one way to change the world is to write things that people will read. And if they, they watch me someplace else, I'd do it somewhere else. But I'm not on there for my benefit. And I'm simply saying, I, my, my friends aren't on Facebook. Feel right will write me all the time, I'd like you to friend me. It's not a friend. It's a platform. It's not real. You get on there and you hear what people are saying, you look at Instagram. Does, have you ever seen a crying baby on Instagram or a, a, a rebellious teenager? They're all like, smile. I said, now. <laughs> it's not real. And the challenge is as we look at those people on Instagram, we're like, oh, I wish I had a happy family like that. You do. You have the same kind of happy family they have. That's Photoshop. It's not real. And I say all that, not, it's, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a message about social media. It's a message about being disconnected, about starving for love. If you need prayer for that, just stand right now. I'm going to pray for you. I really feel strongly that the Holy Spirit had me stop and change the, this part of the message. I, I really feel like if you're if you're isolated or you did what what I said, you cursed yourself. You're like, I'll never let someone hurt me again. You didn't realize it, but you're, now you're starving. It takes courage to stand. I know that. You know me well enough to know I would. You're watching by Bethel TV. Just stand up in your front room. This is just an act of faith. There's nothing spiritual about standing up, except for Holy Spirit's asking you to stand, you stand. That's it. Anybody else in here, you want to be delivered from the ice castle, I want you to stand right now. I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Say, Jesus, forgive me for protecting myself and not trusting you. To protect me. And Lord I take back my vow. That I will no longer let someone hurt me. And from this day forward. I will trust you. And Lord I acknowledge. That you are bigger than my pain. You are bigger than rejection. You are bigger than disappointment. And Lord from this day on. I will live a life. Fully alive. Fully in love. Recognizing that people will hurt me. But that you will love me back to health. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know what? Something really powerful is happening in the room. I could feel the energy in the room. I no one know what else to call it. I, I feel the Holy Spirit moving powerfully. And I just want to say to you tonight, don't be surprised if you find friendship Quickly if tomorrow morning you have the opportunity to decide whether or not you want to slam that door closed again or whether or not you want to leave it open. And I really want to encourage you that tomorrow morning and all through next week, the Lord's going to begin to open doors of friendship and you may be tempted to close the ice castle doors again. And I want to really admonish you as one of the fathers of this house to step out of the ice castle, take a risk, and love again. I remember saying to my son... I would take his face in my hands, and I would say, you are going to love again. He said, it doesn't feel true. I said, you trust me, don't you? He said, yes. I said, you trust me more than you trust yourself? He said, I've always trusted you more than I trust myself, Dad. I said, okay, here's the truth. You're going to love again. That's the truth. And I want to say to everyone who's standing, you're going to love again. I want to say to everyone who's watching by Bethel TV, you're going to love again. That's the way it's going to be. You're going to love again. Promise me I'll never be hurt again. No, no, no. You're gonna love again. <laughs> that means you will be hurt, but how many know hurt's just the process of loving. Amen. My grandfather loved me. A lot. I was his favorite. That wasn't that's not popular among the other grandkids, by the way. My mother loved me. My grandfather, you know, I had two stepfathers who didn't like me. Actually, I'll say this. My stepfathers didn't like themselves. If you don't like you, you have no capacity to like anyone else. I mean, I didn't know that when I was a kid. And I didn't really care that they didn't like themselves. I just cared that they didn't like me. And I look back now, and my my first stepfather, he actually received Jesus, and he's in heaven now. My second stepfather is still in my life, and we have a a, a good relationship. And I love him. But my grandfather always loved me. (laughs) And my grandfather sort of, my grandfather mostly raised me. Well, let me say this. My grandfather, he was the only man in my life who raised me. I have my mother in my life. My mother raised me, and this is Mother's Day, so i obviously like to honor her. Except for God helps those who help themselves. That's the only, (laughs) kind of led me astray there. (laughs) We we, we laughed about that even when she was in the hospital. I said, Mom, you know, you taught me that. God loves, She said, I told you that should be in the Bible. I said, I, I know, but it isn't. <laughs> so we laughed for the, about that for 40 years. But well, my grandfather always loved me. And my grandfather was a farmer. And he was, I have to describe my grandfather to you. My grandfather was not very tall. I don't know, he was maybe 5'6 or 5'7. And he was, he was stout. Do you know, do you guys have a grandfather who was stout? My grandfather was stout. He wasn't fat. He was built like a farmer. and and he always wore coveralls. You know what coveralls are? I see girls wear them now for style, but my grandfather didn't wear them for style at all. And my grandfather didn't wear underwear. Now you may wonder why did you add that detail? Because, Because my grandfather didn't never button up the sides of his Which drove my grandmother completely crazy, (laughs) and when my grandfather was in his, I don't know, maybe uh, recollections probably not accurate, but somewhere I think in his late 40s or early 50s, he had a a gum disease, and he lost, they they had to pull all of his teeth and give him uh, uh, false teeth, but when they did, and I have no idea why they did this, they kept his four eye teeth. It might have been my grandfather's idea, I have no idea, but... (laughs) He he kept his four eye teeth and they made uh, dentures to go around his eye teeth which they were fine when they were in. You couldn't even tell except for they hurt him so he wouldn't keep them in but he kept his dentures in his, (laughs) this is a true thing, kept his dentures in his coveralls sticking out just a little bit so in case he wanted to eat he could pop them babies right in. (laughs) And my grandfather didn't, I don't know, he didn't really walk. My grandfather, I mean, from the time I came here, he kind of... And he always had back pain, so he said, like, Ocha, Ocha, I don't know what Ocha means. I hope it doesn't mean anything bad in Spanish. My grandfather's first language is Spanish, so he's like, Ocha, Ocha. You kind of wonder. But my grandfather loved me. And I remember when... Um, when we, we, were, we were living my grandfather had four houses, and we, were, we lived in his, one of his four houses. They were like rentals, but it's kind of like he was like a slum ward, because it, Sunnyville, you know where Sunnyville is, like San Jose? Well, my grandfather refused to sell his property, so a mall went in across the street and they tore all the old houses down. My grandfather's house was built in like 1905. all those four houses, and they weren't nice when they were built. My grandpa's was a very stubborn man. Maybe that's where I got some of it. But so there was only four houses on this block, and it, you know, on I mean, in in like the two mile radius, that were old. I mean, really run down, old, not beautiful Victorian old. And my grandfather owned them, so it was like a little slumlord in the middle of the Silicon Valley. And my grandfather was like, ah, they're not taking my property, <laughs> whatever, you know. And so uh, and so, when my, my mother went through a divorce, I was living in that house, and I, I, I lived with my grandfather a lot, on and off. And so when I, I was about maybe, I don't know, 10, 11, 12 years old, and, and my grandfather went to the hardware store every day. Every day. He'd come home. He worked as a, uh, at one point in his life, he worked as a, a, a maintenance guy at uh, Fremont High School, and so he'd come home at 3 o'clock, and he had a black 53 Ford his whole life like, since 53. <laughs> so it wouldn't be his whole life, but you know what I'm saying. My whole life. I was born in 55, so he had it my whole life. I had it when he died. And my grandfather would drive that, you know, the, that car home, and, and so I, I was living in his houses, and he'd, and my mother was, I think, was embarrassed because we had no money, and my grandfather helped support us, and then he'd take me to the harbor store, and he'd buy me stuff, and my mother would come back, and well, I mean, when we'd come back from the harbor store, my mother would go, did your grandfather buy you something? I'm like, uh-huh. You are not to ask your grandfather for anything, you understand? Uh-huh. So, okay. So this was an ongoing challenge. Uh, and so we, we, uh, we, my grandfather, you know, rolls in, in his, you know, 53 Ford, black Ford, and gets out, and he always coasts in because he was born, you know, he was, lived through the depression, so he had to save gas. So if it was downhill, he rolled. He rolled in the driveway. And he get out, and he gets out and he's like, you want to go to the hardware store? And he always, oh, I should tell you this part. He, would suck, he had a habit of sucking his teeth in, his lips in. You can't do it if you have teeth, but. And he just go, he had how nervous habit. Go, <laughs> so, so this one day he comes in and he's like, you want to go to the hardware store? I'm like, okay. So I yell, mom, go to the hardware store. And she'd go, don't ask for anything. I still remember this. So I get in the car, and we go to the hardware store. My grandfather always says the same thing. Go, just, just go look around, and when I get all my stuff, I'll, I'll find you. I said, okay. So I, I'm going to look around, and, and I, I'm over by the hammers. And I, I probably am about, probably eight. And I, I'm looking at the, the hammers, and finally half an hour goes by, and my grandfather, come. You want a hammer? No. You don't want one of those hammers? No. Did your mother tell you not to ask for a thing? Uh-huh. Pick out any hammer you want. All right. (laughs) So I buy a Stanley Blue Hammer, all steel. had that thing for years. So I come home and I'm like, uh, we pull in the driveway and I jump out of the car. I'm like, mom, look what grandpa bought me. You are in trouble. I told you, I didn't ask. You are dead. Do you understand me? So my mom would work, and, and, I, and she'd, I would get home at 3, and my mother got home at 5, so I'd have a couple hours by myself with my, two, my brother and sister. And so oh, I guess I was probably 10 or 11, 12 by that time. So I, I, I decided that I was going to build a go-kart. So I, you know, for, for two days, I hammered everything I could hammer, like, na-na-na-na. We lived in an old house with shiplap, and na 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 I hammered every nail all the way on the shiplap, everything I could find. And then one day, there was, I ran out of stuff, so I'm like, I'm going to build a go-kart. So I look around, I, I can't find any, any wood, so I, I look and I, I decide to tear the siding off the side of my grandfather's garage <laughs> so I could get some wood. So I tear the siding off the side of the garage and the sun shines <laughs> through there. And I build a go-kart out of the wood and I can't find any wheels, so I go in and get my grandfather's lawnmower and take the wheels off and I, <laughs> I nail them to the side. And <sighs> so my mom comes home. So she comes home and she's like, what have you been doing today? i oh, Wow, I built a go-kart. So she sees the go-kart, I take it out, I show her. She's like, huh, where'd you get the wood? From the garage. The garage door's open, the sun is shining through the garage. I ripped the entire siding off as high as I could reach. Your grandfather's gonna kill you, you understand me? Uh-huh. Where'd you get the wheels? From the lawnmower. You are dead. When your grandfather comes home, You are going to, you are telling your grandfather what you did. Okay. So here comes my grandfather. Now, you can't hear him because he's just coasting in. (laughs) Jumps out of his 53 Ford. My mother grabs me by the neck, leaves marks on purpose. Those are memories, monuments. Marches me out. Tell your grandfather what you did. Oh, I'll build a go-kart. Oh, that's cool, where'd you get, oh, that is, you built that today? Uh Uh-huh, with my hammer. (laughs) Grandfather's like, where'd you get the window? From the garage. (laughs) The sun's shining through the side of the garage. My mother's like, "Eh." he goes, oh, that's no problem. We'll just get some plywood and put it over, it's no big deal. Where'd you get the wheels from? From the lawnmower. Oh, come on, get in the car, let's get you some rear wheels. Takes me down to the hardware store, buys me axles, wheels, Oh, yeah. I come, from the har- come home from the harvest store, my mother's like, You are gonna die, you understand this? <laughs> Later on, my grandfather bought a ranch, a farm, and I lived there from the time I was 15 all summer. Er- every summer, I lived there to help with the crop, and my grandfather bought me a Honda 90 motorcycle. And, uh, and I, so he, w- he worked at Hershey's and he had a farm. So. While he was gone, I had a list of chores I was supposed to do. So I'd do the chores, and once I did the chores, I could, I, I could do whatever I wanted on the farm. And uh, my grandfather built me a treehouse. Like, I'm talking about a treehouse. It had even a toilet in it. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want to be under there when you flush, because it's a <laughs> sort of a new system that has yet to be approved. And it was right next to it. The mountain came down like this. And then there was a tree right here. Huge. Just huge tree. And my grandfather built a, 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 a bridge from the mountain to the treehouse. So it was really cool. And so um, I, get, and I could drive the tractor. My grandfather had a tractor. I drove tractor since I was 13. I could drive tractor, but only when my grandfather was there. So I drove tractor to plow and all that when my grandfather was there. But So one day, I got all my chores done. My Honda ninety, my Honda ninety. You know what a trail ninety is? Like, you probably some of you are too 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 young. It, it has eight gears. You know, four four trailed gears, and and so I, I go down after I got all done, and I'm playing, I'm messing around in my treehouse, and and there's another tree that grew through my treehouse. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna pull that tree out. So I go up. the 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 shop is up on top of the hill, and the treehouse is down in the in the the orchard. So I drive my motorcycle up, and I got about, I don't know, 50 feet of chain. I'm, here it goes. And I drive it down, I put it around my neck, you know, I look like freaking Rambo. And I drive, drive the motorcycle down, and I tie the motorcycle—I chain to the tree, and I tie it to my motorcycle. And I back my motorcycle up, and I take off, well, you know what happened, right? tree didn't move and I go flying over the handlebars onto the ground and when I hit the ground, instead of being like wise, I was like mad. So I get up and I say to the tree, you have messed with the wrong guy. <laughs> so I w- go back up to the top and I find all the chain I can find. You know, my grandfather's a farmer, we got chain for everything. So I don't know, we probably had 200 feet of chain. So then I drive the motorcycle down. With, I got chain all around me, I mean it's like a hundred pounds of chain. I ride the motorcycle down as fast as I can. And I, 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 I'm thinking, you know what? I need to tie the chain to the top of the tree so I can get leverage and break it off. So I get all this chain and I climb to the top of the tree. It's not a very big tree, it's about this big around and it's probably, I don't know, 40 feet high. And I, I get to the top of the tree and I tie it off. It takes me like half hour. I get down, and then I think, well, I need to like snap it off, so I probably need to pull my motorcycle up the hill backwards, tie the chain around it, and then pass the tree and snap it off. (laughs) So I pull my motorcycle backwards up the hill, as much chain as I have, and like, say that's the tree, so it's back as far as the chain I have, and I get on my motorcycle, now I'm going like down the hill, right, and my goal is to be like Fourth gear when I pass the tree, so like evil can evil. <laughs> so I'm like wah wah wah, wah, wah. Uh, <laughs> The tree goes wah. <laughs> I fly off the motorcycle like I mean like fly off like 30 feet from the motorcycle, and the motorcycle goes poof. <laughs> like a catapult. I'm on my back like a quarterback who's been tackled, and the and it goes whoo and it throws the motorcycle all the way to the top of the hill. I am pissed. I walk straight up the hill, no trail, just walk straight up the hill and I get my grandfather's tractor. which I'm not supposed to drive. Well, he's gone, but I'm like, I know my, my grandfather wouldn't understand an emergency. So I drive the tractor down the hills as fast as it'll go, like 15 miles an hour. And I put the forks around the tree. And I wrap all the chain around the forks in the tree. And then I get in the, the tractor and I full throttle. I hit the hydraulic ram. Bends the fork straight down. Bends the forks straight down. I go to pull the lever back. It goes, Home and then I came to my right mind. <laughs> my grandfather's gonna kill me. <laughs> grandfather's gonna kill me. I drive the tractor up. I put it in the shop where it normally stays. I try to put the forks up so, but it, oh, they stick to the concrete just like that. Oh, no. About a half hour goes by, and my grandfather comes home in his 53 Ford coasting. In the driveway. He gets out. How are you doing? How's your day? Okay. Did you get all your chores done? hmm Are you okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what, what? What's going on? What, what happened? Mm. I take him in the garage. I walk him around the front. I'll never forget. I walk him around the front of the forks. What happened? My My grandfather goes, oh, that's no problem. I've been wanting to teach you how to use the torches anyway. About six months later, (laughs) at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we all came to the ranch. It's like my grandfather. We're Spanish, so like patriarchal culture, so you have to at least show honor by coming, even if you only stay for two hours. So all my cousins and my uncles and my aunts, they would all come to the farm and we would, they, would, they would party, you know. They, they weren't believers, so drink a little too much. And, and I had uh, seven cousins, they were all girls. And, uh, and, I was, uh, and, and so my grandfather, I, was, I think I was around 15, and my grandfather looks at me and there are the parties going on, the music, playing the castanets, you know, it's very cultural Spanish. Drinking, playing castanets, no wedding though. But anyway, so my grandfather throws me the keys to the flatbed truck and says, go have some fun. So we had this old 43 Dodge truck, flatbed, you know, dual wheels, you know what I'm talking about? Farm truck. Big farm truck. So I said to my cousins, come on, let's go. Get on the back of the truck. We'll go cruising on the farm. So they all jump on the back of the truck. You know, they're all city girls. None of them even know there's such a thing as dirt. They were born in the Bay Area. So they all jump in the go. I don't want to get dirty. Oh, it'll be fine. No problem. So my oldest cousin gets in the front with me, and the other six get in the back. And so we're cruising through the field, like as fast as we can go, like, 38 miles an hour, the truck traveling. <laughs> girls are hanging on the back, <laughs> dust flying everywhere. And we cut through this irrigation place and we get stuck in the mud. And they're on the back and we're like, woo, woo, trying to get out. And they go, hey, girls, you need to get out and push. They were like, no way, yeah, we're not getting on. I said, well, we're just getting stuck in the mud then, and we can't get off. You're going to have to push. And said, It'll be okay. Just push a little. It'll, we'll get right out. I, finally, I talked these seven girls to get in the back and pushing. So I read, rub the motor, dump the clutch. Mud just goes, cover them. <laughs> but they pushed me out. <laughs> They're screaming and yelling. I'm like, get on, get on. So I get back on the truck, and my cousin Denise is in the front, and we're going as fast as the truck goes. You know, it just rattles like. We get up on the road, and we're going as fast as we can down this road. There's a river on one side and a cliff on the other. Well, I forgot that the road washed out. So we go about two and a half miles down this dirt road, this gravel road, and and all of a sudden, the road washed out. So I hit the brakes. So, oh, no, we have to back up two and a half miles. So my cousin's like, what are you going to do? I said, we just have to back up. Said, open the door to make sure I don't fall off. She said, okay. So she opens the door, I put it in reverse, and go backwards as fast as I can go. She has the door open. She's like, be careful, it's too close over here. And all of a sudden, the door hits the tree, and it rips the door off. (laughs) God is my witness, this is a true story. It ripped the door completely off except for the bottom hinge and it bent it in half. And I stop and she's like, Your grandfather's gonna kill you. I said, You had the door. She's, You told me to open. This is your fault. So we go really slowly back where everybody's partying, back up to the top of the hill. And I park there and I say to the girls, Don't tell anyone we wrecked the truck. They jump off the truck, Chris wrecked the truck. My uncle comes out. Of course, he's had a little bit too much to drink. And he comes out and he sees the truck, and the girls are like, oh, I don't know, tell him he almost killed us. Oh, almost fell off into the river. The door, the door off. They're all covered in mud, of course. <laughs> and my uncle's like, You, you could have killed those girls. And he starts like yelling, and, Here comes my grandfather. And, you know, my uncle's just yelling at me and telling me, you are in trouble, you are going to... And my grandfather, like, oh. and I see him behind my uncle, and when he shows up, he winks at me. <laughs> Which is our signal, like, don't talk, I got this hammer. <laughs> so, so he goes, what's what's going on here? What's happening? <laughs> he looks at me, what happened? I was backing up, in an hour, our tree got... My grandfather's all, oh, you know what? I've been wanting to take the doors off that truck for a long time, like <laughs> just way too much work opening and closing, opening and closing those doors. So take that thing to shop and take both doors off that truck. My grandfather, my uncle, you're gonna die. Some of you have a God who's a lot more like my uncle than my grandfather. And you are waiting for God to punish you. Now, I, I gotta, I'm going to end with this thought. My grandfather taught me the love of God 20 years before he knew Jesus. He was an atheist his whole life till the last six months of his life. I remember this piece of the story. About four years ago, my, one of my grandsons was in my garage, and he was driving the, riding lawnmower. And so he's going in and out and around the trees, and he goes in the garage, and he's doing something with the, with the lawnmower in the garage. I forget what it was. And then he hits the down button for the door for the garage but forgets that the tractor's in the garage and he's taking the tractor out and the garage door's coming 14 feet from the top. And so I'm across the yard and I see the garage door closing and he's coming out the garage door with the tractor while the garage door's closing. And I'm running, you know, he's, the tractor's loud, you know. It's a lawn tractor. I'm yelling, stop, stop, stop. And just as I, I get like 20 feet from him, he's like, what? I'm like, stop, just as I get close enough for him to hear. His, he, he hits the garage door and rips it off the hinges. And I go, dude, what? And Kathy goes, remember your grandfather? <laughs> From across the yard, she goes, remember your grandfather? Of course, there's tears running down his eyes. I like, go, well, oh, this is no big deal. Come on, let me show you how to use the wrench." Inside, I'm like, I want to kill you. <laughs> For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, or any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am convinced that most of our struggles and all of our fears would evaporate if we knew the love of God that surpasses understanding. I'm convinced of it. I was not having a very good week the last couple weeks. First time in a long, long time I was dealing with some anxiety. I was in bed a few days ago and the Lord said, uh, what's, what's the problem? I said, well, you know, I've got these issues. He said, but you got me. I'm like, I still got these issues. (laughs) Because you don't actually know you got me. That's why you got these issues. Because you don't really know you got me. I'm like, I know you got me. No, no, no. You don't know how much I love you. No, I know you love me a lot. No, you have no idea how much I love you. You have no idea. How much I love you. How do you know that? Because you wouldn't be afraid if you knew I loved you more than that. This is an old message that I need to preach to myself about every six months. I want to pray for you. Would you stand, please? Oh, I'm sweating. I need to get like a handkerchief like T.D. Jakes if you're going to sweat like this. <laughs> and wear a coat. <clears throat> Is it right if I just pray for you? Yeah, just, I just have it in my heart to pray for us. All y'all. And all y'all. Including the cloud of witnesses. <laughs> Whoever else wants to participate in this prayer. But my goal for all of us is that we would experience the love of God that surpasses understanding. Pretty simple message. I don't think the message gets any simpler than tonight. You know, sometimes simple's best. I think complex is good. I like when my mind is like challenged. But sometimes my heart just needs to know. You are really loved. Like, you are really, oh, I know I am. No, 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 you are really, really, really loved. I I know, no, 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 you are really, really, really loved. (laughs) How do you know I don't get it? Because you're afraid. Can't have anxiety and know you're loved at the same time. Because perfect love casts out fear. I'm not afraid, I have insecurity. It's a fancy word for fear. We didn't know those words when we were real. We just knew fear. Lord, I pray for all of us that we would actually be experiencing the ways of your love. The depth, the height, the length, the breadth. That we would know by experience what our mind couldn't comprehend. Lord, I thank you that the smartest person on the earth has no advantage over the least mentally gifted person in this area of love. That everyone can experience the love of God, no matter their gift, no matter how smart they are or how smart they're not. Lord, I pray for all of us in this room, in the sound of my voice, and watching on Bethel TV, and whoever will this later, and whatever else, what other, other dimensions there are of, of beings that are in this room. Lord, I pray that all of creation would experience the love of God that surpasses understanding. I hope you enjoyed that message. You know that this podcast exists to inspire you to walk in your royal identity in Christ and develop you in the art of thinking like God. I want you to experience what it means to truly think like God and have the mind of Christ. So just a quick reminder that one of the best ways to do this is to read my book, Spiritual Intelligence, which is available for purchase everywhere you love to buy books. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to share your thoughts with me.